I've entitled the morning's message, uh, Excuses, Excuses, Excuses. I don't think we've had a title like that before. Let's open our Bibles to Luke 14, where Paul read for us earlier, 15 to 24. The context of the parable is as a result of the uh, um, feast that was set on by a person, and uh, he decided he wanted to sit up front, but then somebody more important to the giver of the meal came to him and asked him to take a lower seat so his friend could sit up, and therefore he was humbled. And so the parable we're about to read is actually in response. And um, there's some sarcasm in here that unless I point it out, I don't know if you're going to catch it or not. And so let's begin with verse 15. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then he said to him, Well, there was a certain man who gave a great supper, invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, Well, I've bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask that you have me excused. Still another said, well, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes and the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, master, it is done as you commanded and we still have room. And then the master said to the servant, then go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now, before we get into the main point of of what the message is going to be on this morning, I'm going to need to take a little time and uh, lay out where we're at in God's timetable as it pertains to the lateness of the hour that we're in right now. And that's going to take a little time for me to do that. But it's essential for us to understand um, the rest of the study. We're going to go from um, showing biblically where we're at, I believe in the latter days, last hours, and then... Paul's admonishment, I'll use the word exhortation, will be a separate part of this morning's message where Paul clearly, in light of what is going to be taking place in the last days, gives us exhortation on what we are to do because of it. Then, uh, the main part of the study is the importance of why. The only way to maintain um, a walk on this narrow path that the scripture says many there will be that will follow the broad gate, but few will be that actually enter in. Uh, 
And uh, so the heart of the study is what the scriptures teach us what to do so that we don't get sidetracked and we don't fall into the things that the scriptures clearly warn us against. So as we begin, just as we look around the world, some things that are obvious to some, some not to others. Um, You can't go by uh, these days with something happening to bring about the Ezekiel 38-39 war. I mean, uh, for many years, Turkey was the one that was, had to be a part because they're Togarma in Ezekiel 38. And, uh, but just within the last couple of years with Erdogan, become a dictator, tyrant, uh, from being pro-West to anti-Israel. We have Russia with, with um, their troops, boots on the ground, and we have Iran. And just this week, Iran is uh, denying it, but they're responsible for attacking two oil tankers in the Straits. That's making news, and you guys have all heard about that. Well, these are what we call birth pains. And we should be aware, as um, we teach the whole counsel of God, that the Bible says the time will come when these armies will line up against um, Israel. Um, if you turn, well, and, and also Jesus warned um, that um, the main sign to look for, how do we know for sure that we're in the last days? Well, in Matthew 24, the disciples were dumbfounded. I don't know a better word. Because the Lord told them, he said, you see this great building? He's looking at the temple. And he says, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. Now that blew their minds. That was not what they were jockeying for position because they were sure the kingdom had come and it was a bombshell on them. What do you mean, the temple? Um, so once that settled in and sunk in, then they had questions. If that's the case, Lord, then what is the sign? Make it singular. What is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Well, He begins by saying not signs, but he talks about wars and rumors of wars. He talks about earthquakes in diverse places. You know, last week we had a 4.5 north of Columbus, Ohio, just south of Lake Erie. You know, within the last four days, five days, there were 700 earthquakes in Southern California. Somebody sent me an email that went something like this. Holy asphalts, Batman. <laughs> Why? Because the article showed that there was tar that was melting because of the heat that is a result of these earthquakes. And you ha- actually had melted asphalt oozing out there. Now, they, they tried to put it in perspective. Um, they all agreed the big one's coming. And they were quick to say this could be it, but they didn't really think so. But the fact is, 700 earthquakes, they were big ones that were from a .03 on up, but nonetheless, that's many earthquakes in various places. And that's just just, uh, a sidetrack. But the main sign, the sign, he doesn't give until he tells the parable of the fig tree. He says, when you see the parable, when you see the fig tree blossom, it said that generation that sees that will see the fulfillment of all Bible prophecy. 
Would you just please take a second and let that sink in? I mean, that is a lot to say. Several weeks ago, we gave a very in-depth study on the fig tree blooming and budding. I think it has the eighth strongest army in the world today. We look to them for their technology, not the other way around. They've gone from nothing um, from when they became a nation in 1948, 71 years ago, to um, uh, one of the most technically advanced um, countries in the entire world. The fig tree is blossoming, and we're, we're seeing it. So I would say that would be the sign. So as we start our study this morning, basically what I'm saying is the Bible has a lot to say. It uses expressions like the latter days and um, what is going to be happening primarily within the church. So I need to take a little bit of time and uh, have you turn to, let's start by turning to, well, First Timothy chapter four, as Paul writing to Timothy talks about First Timothy chapter four, and we're looking at the first six verses here. Now the Spirit expressly says that in notice the latter times that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. What's the first thing he said is gonna happen? There's gonna be um, a departing from the faith or a falling away. They'll be speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Um, Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from food which God has created to be received with thanksgiving Uh, by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Now, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine. Let me contrast um, God Good doctrine from verse one, the doctrine of demons. Both will be happening. But now he's speaking to pastors of churches. If you want to be a good minister of the gospel, um, uh, then nourish the words of faith of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. And so we have in First Timothy this admonition. What's going to be happening in the last days? Well, there's going to be a falling away. And there's going to be spiritual warfare that's at play that are actually drawing people away from sound doctrine into actually doctrines of demons. And if you turn just a couple pages to 2 Timothy chapter three, it talks about sort of the morality of that generation. Again, it says in chapter three, verse one, but know that this, that in the latter days, there it is again, perilous times will come. I mean, how many days go by when we don't have making the evening news another shooting at some school or some part of a city that has to be shut down um, because some guy, some wackos out there, um, and 
it, we've almost become numb to it because it's such a common experience that's happening. Perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. I talked to one brother this week uh, who used to work in the school system, and he, um, he says, I just couldn't take it anymore. I quit. And uh, he said, how much time you got? He, I, no, you don't understand. I quit. You got my two weeks right now. Simply because he has no control over his own students. And when he tries to talk to them, they look at him and they say, you say one word to me and we'll have social services in here just like this. And they hold that over the teachers. That's another way of saying disobedience, um, unloving, unforgiving, um, unthankful, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. Are you a Christian? Yes, but in name only. Have a form of godliness, but deny its power from such people turn aside. So we find here that they're gonna be lovers of pleasure and disobedience, calling good evil and evil good. I'm gonna put something on the screen right now. What happened and what's flying on our flagpole down in Madison, um, you go ahead and put it up. What's flying is uh, a gay pride rainbow flag over the Wisconsin State Capitol for the first time. Um, it's gay pride month, and so as a result, uh, this flag is uh, being flown. So as a result, two local um, stations, NBC 26 and WLUK, posted the Wisconsin Capitol flag story on Facebook this week. Now after seeing all the random comments in favor, I decided to present another perspective. Now this person who's writing this is her own Mary Danielson, and um, I'll read what she put on in light of the many comments on Facebook. She says, my response in a nutshell was, doesn't anyone think critically anymore? We are raising a flag over a public government building that essentially says, let's celebrate publicly what people do in their own private bedrooms. This is just absurd on the face of it. The whole gay pride movement is based on this concept. And then she says this, Now, I've been married for 37 years. I want a 21-gun salute. And I also want my own flag flying over the Capitol, a straight pride flag. She said, surprisingly, I got positive response. So Mary's going to be petitioning. This is her flag. We'll put it up so you guys can see it. Here's Mary's flag. It looks white, it's supposed to be really pink. <laughs> it is absurd. And, and yet, the scriptures clearly say that this is a road that uh, our country is, is headed down. And that these would be some of the signs that we would be seeing uh, open um, in society 
Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul, basically, he was only in Thessalonica. Some say a month, some say three weeks. What amazes me about Paul and his accomplishments there is he taught um, every major um, biblical doctrine in that period of time, including the rapture of the church, including the tribulation, and um, all in a three-week period of time. Now, evidently, between 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, the things that Paul had taught in 1 Thessalonians, somebody um, either wrote a letter that wasn't from Paul, gave a prophecy that wasn't from Paul, and now he has to, which was contradicting what he had taught them. So that's the reason for 2 Thessalonians. So when we read in chapter 2, verse 1, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or word or by letter, as though it was from us. So somebody was writing other things that were not from the Apostle Paul. And he's basically saying, don't get shook up. Let's go through this again, but know that this didn't come from me, as though the day of Christ had come. But let no one deceive you, verse three, for by any means that that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin reveal the sudden perdition. I really only want to point out one thing here that goes along with um, the last days, and that is this. Paul writing to Timothy says there's gonna be a departure from the faith. Paul writing to the Thessalonians said there's gonna be an apostasy. So not only false doctrine, but this um, um, move away from um, the faith and a falling away from um, solid biblical doctrine. Here's a stat for you that I ran across this week. I simply Googled it. I was curious. I wonder how many churches closed their doors this year. And what I came up with over and over again is this year between 6,000 and 10,000 churches will close their doors. Now, Calvary Chapel of Appleton happened to be a beneficiary of this. There was um, a church, a very beautiful church, sat 400 people, but nobody was coming. They had a congregation of 20 or 30. And um, they got a terrific deal on a building that is now Calvary Chapel of Oshkosh. And it is a result of people departing. People aren't going to church. Now my generation in the 60s, everything was closed down and everybody went to church. That's just the way it was. And what the Bible is teaching is that when we get in the last generation, how do we know the last generation? Well, Israel has to be back in the land. And the generation that sees that will see the fulfillment of all Bible prophecy. So either we see these things or we don't. You can use your own mind and your own common sense to um, validate whether you see the things we're talking about or not. Um, because we are now living in these days, there's much we, we could talk about about Bible prophecy, 
don't have time. But now, because this is the reality of where we're living, now Paul is going to address a warning on what we're to do. So the second part of the the study that we're entering into, um, I'm going to have you turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 15. Hebrews chapter 3, Paul says in verse 12, Beware, beware, brethren, lest there be any in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another. That is a word that we don't hear too often today. To get exhorted. What happens when you're exhorting somebody? Um, It can be a good kick in the pants type exhort, or it can be a comforting, loving exhortation. It's where you initiate contact with a fellow believer to exhort them, hey, hang in there, man. Don't give up. Uh, the Bible says these things are gonna happen. Why should you be surprised? So Paul addressing that says, exhort one another sometimes, right? No, daily. In men's prayer yesterday, one of the guys his, was traveling, and he's a regular at men's prayer, and when it got, what we do is, is um, really a great, great time with these men. Um, we just started Judges. Um, we each take three verses. Next guy reads three verses. We go through four chapters. Then we'll come back and each person will comment on what ministered to him. And then after he gets done saying, well, this is what spoke to me. And then he'll say, well, this is mine now. Here's my prayer request. And so we have all that mixed into our men's prayer. So he hadn't been there for a couple of weeks, and he goes, man, there's one thing I've learned. There's no way you can pull off the Christian walk by yourself. You have to have fellowship. You have to have somebody to rub shoulders with and interact with, to exhort, be exhorted with, and they can exhort you. And whether you realize it or not, your presence, even being here, is a comfort and an exhortation to other people. And uh, so here, Paul in verse 12, beware, brethren, lest any of you depart uh, from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if, oh, there's a big word for you, this little two-letter word, if, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. In other words, we don't depart. We stay in sound doctrine. We don't depart from those things, but we exhort one another. And now I'm going to have you go from Hebrews 3 to Hebrews 10, where he reinforces it. Hebrews 10, verse 23 Still running to the Hebrews, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. Well, what has he promised? Well, this banquet that he's inviting people to, we're the bride of Christ. He says, if I go, I'm gonna come again and receive you unto myself. 
That's his promise. And he says, if you hold on to that promise, he's faithful, God can't lie. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is. Though in context of living in the last days, we've learned thus far that there's going to be a departure from, and especially from sound doctrine. Not only in numbers of people going to church, but in sound doctrine itself. Now, the flip side of that, Paul is talking to Hebrew believers. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is, but, here it is again, exhort one another and do it so much more as you see the day approaching. Now again, a common sense question, gang. Either you see the day approaching or you don't. If you do, as I do, what we are told to do here is clear. It's simply a matter of being obedient and do it. Good place for an amen. Instead of what? Making excuses for not doing it. So here Paul is very, very clear. If you see the day approaching, uh, we're told that what's gonna happen. So when, when I see a departure from the faith, and people leaving the churches and churches closing the doors. I'm not surprised. That's exactly what the Bible says is going to happen. But I don't want it to happen to you. And I don't want it to happen to me. So does the scripture address those issues for you and me? Absolutely. Right here. Don't do it. But do it all the more. Fellowship even more as you see the day approaching. And so we have Paul's admonition to the Hebrews. This morning is a a Father's Day message of exhortation. So let's go back to our text in Luke chapter 14 as we make our way through the Bible. I happen to be in the Gospel of Luke. And um, the first thing we see here is this invitation being given. Um, Again, it's in response to the parable before it and uh, invitation to come to the Great Supper. Now, it was a custom to send out invitations to such a dinner a long time in advance. But, as the actual day of the dinner arrived, a personal invitation was extended. God has issued an invitation. What is man going to do with it? God's invitation is for salvation. You cannot buy your way into this feast. You cannot elbow your way in. You come into this dinner by the grace of God. Now, if you're taking notes, I'm quoting Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You get into this dinner by receiving the invitation. The only thing that will exclude any human being from heaven is a refusal to accept the invitation. The Lord Jesus said, you say, blessed is he that eateth bread in the kingdom. This is a pious nonsense. Here is what men are doing with God's invitation. So we read here, basically the first excuse, we'll look at 16, 17, and 18 here. Um, A certain man had a great supper and invited, and he sent 
um, the servants uh, supper time to say everything's ready. Um, so come to the dinner. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first one said, well, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and, and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Well, <laughs> this is not an excuse. This is an alibi. Someone has said an alibi is a lie stuffed in the skin of an excuse. No one who ha- was invited says, I will not come to the dinner. They were simply making excuses to cover up the fact that they did not want to come to the dinner. The first man to give an excuse was either a liar or he was a fool. Can you imagine buying property without first going looking at it? Anybody here in the housing market? Oh, I just bought a house. Oh, did you look at it? Oh, no. You know, that's foolishness. So this this was... um, um, you know, what, what, what foolishness is this? Nobody's going to buy a car without driving it. You're not going to buy a piece of property to see how many acres are there. You're not, just not going to do it, but that's what he said. Well, I bought a piece of property, I, therefore I can't come. Uh, the first man let uh, possessions keep him away. The second man uh, we, we go on to read here, um, said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I pray that you have me excused. The second man um, let business keep him away. Again, I have to say of this second man that he is either a liar or a fool. How could this man pl- plow at night? In those days, they didn't have floodlights. This man was making excuses. I must make a living is a phrase I hear often. People are so busy with their business, they have no time for God. And one day you're going to die and you'll discover that business will go on as usual without you. Now, we as men have a tendency to identify ourselves by what we do. Well, how you doing? What, what do you do? And usually we say what our profession is. This is what we should say. Listen up, man, it's Father's Day. So, what do you do? Well, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, that's not what I ask you. What do you do? Well, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, you just said that, but what do you do? And then you can say, after you've gotten that point across, then you can say, well, I'm a carpenter. But first of all, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should be, um, if nothing else, you've left an impression. I've never, never heard a guy talk like that before. But we choose to associate our identity with what we do as a profession. What is our profession? You're ambassadors for Christ, first, first and foremost. And... Um, Interesting thing about ambassadors. Um, before any war breaks out, what happens to the ambassadors in that country? They are called home. I think it's late. And I think um, there's a war that's about to break out. And I think as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, the Lord is going to call his church home 
before the war breaks out. It's just my opinion, but I think that's what the scriptures are laying out here. So let's go on to the third one, more excuses, 18 through 20. Uh, Still another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. And um, I don't know if you know it or not, but there's actually a law in the law of Israel that when you marry and you're in the army, you cannot go to war for one year. And the reason for that is they want that soldier to spend time with his wife during that first year. There's a law in Israel that excuses a man from going to war for a year if he had taken a new wife. This man had the weakest excuse of all. Why didn't he bring his wife with him and come to the dinner? His natural affection kept him away from the dinner. How many times I have heard a man say, well, I don't come to church because Sunday is the only day I can spend with my family. These things keep more people from God than anything else. Possessions, business, and natural affliction. How many people today are kept from God because of these things? Well, God has engraved an invitation for you. It is written in the blood of Jesus Christ and invites you to the great table of salvation. Oh, I don't know if I should go there. When I say that, don't I always get myself in trouble? Anybody see tool time last night? It was a bunch in the first service. Okay, everybody knows what tool time is? Um, Tim, the tool man, Taylor. (laughs) For some reason, I was flipping channels last night, and here's one of their sons, Mark, and the whole program is why he's not going to go to church anymore. And I said, honey, come in here. You're not going to believe this. They're talking about my Bible study tomorrow morning. Because <laughs> Mark is saying, well, I'm not going to go to church anymore. And he's giving all, all the reasons why. And the pastor who was on tool time at the time was Dan Aykroyd. Now, unless you're over 50, you don't know what I just said, okay? Okay, so for all you younger people... Dan Aykroyd was a a comedian on Saturday Night Live. And um, to put Dan Aykroyd as a pastor on Tool Time, we're talking sarcasm at a very, very high level here. Okay? And what basically Mark is picking up on is mom and dad are trying to talk him into going to church. And Mark is saying, why? You guys don't. And stuff like that. In other words, if, if you're laying down an example for me here, I'm sure not seeing it. And um, he's, he says, I'm going to do church my way. And that's exactly where our generation is at today. Is it good? Is it evil? Well, I'll, I'll decide that. It's relative to me. If I think it's good, then it's good. And if I think it's evil, it's evil. That's my church. And that's what I believe in today. And our, we, you know, we've, we've gone from the baby boomers, you know, to the generation. Um, Xers and so on and so forth. I, the millennials, I forget where we are today. But every generation has their own um, uniqueness where they want to be distinct and separate for whatever reason. And uh, I could not believe that Mark was going on and on and on why he is not going to go to church anymore. Okay, so now I gave a plug for tool time. I hope that's not all you remember about the Bible study this morning. 
Okay. Um, the context of what we just read in our text is really about salvation. It is a gospel going out, and the Lord, as he said to the disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. And um, we're going to be at the wedding banquet of the Lamb someday. That's his promise. So the context here is the presentation of the gospel, but excuses people give for not becoming a Christian. And so what the Lord says, okay, take it everywhere. It wasn't just now just to Israel, but to everywhere, going to the highways and the hedges. We have... Uh, we had Bikers for Christ in the first service. I see we have Bikers for Christ here in the second service. And um, I think of uh, them and people doing street ministry work of those going into the highways and hedges. They're not part of what we would call the makeup of general society. And, um, uh, and I thank the Lord for them. Um, but that would be going into the highways and hedges and compelling them to come in. You see, a biker will listen to another biker, but uh, he would never uh, maybe talk to a guy that wears a white thing around his collar right here. Uh, No, 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 no. I got my Harley jacket on, you got your white thing on, and we're just not on the same wavelength here. And so we have what Paul would call becoming all things to all men, so that he can win some. And that's just wise. A lot of people that share their faith aren't very tactful. They come on pretty strong and pretty heavy, and instead of opening people up to get them to ask questions, they close them down, and they label them, and they, they walk away from them. The best, thing you can, the best example I've ever seen of learning how to witness is what, and how Jesus witnessed to the woman at the well. They were like this. She was a Samaritan, he was a Jew. We don't get along, that's understood. But the Lord opened up that woman. Deep down inside her were questions that have troubled her her whole life. And as he engaged, he was wise as a serpent and he was harmless as a dove. And by the end of his conversation, it went from you're a Jew to you're the Messiah. And she got saved and she was a Samaritan. There's a proverb that says, um, wisdom is like a deep well and a wise man will draw it out. That's what Jesus was doing. He was getting into her heart and causing her to open up instead of closing up. And that's a whole Bible study within itself. And so in the context here, this is about salvation, but I believe it can also be used as a warning and an exhortation to not make excuses of the things God has warned us of in these last days. We can make excuses um, for not being involved and making um, Sunday morning a priority. One of the things that drives me crazy is the school systems now promoting sports activities on Sunday mornings. And it really puts a, a... a strong Bible-believing Christian in a tough place because they love their kids. I grew up, that's all I knew was sports, every sport. And um, um, 
it, it troubles me that, that the school systems have done that. I'd like to look at four areas of the church life that will keep us ready until the Lord comes. And if we follow the pattern laid out in scripture, then I think we'll make it from point A to point B. Point A is here, point B is a wedding supper, we're actually home in heaven. Turn with me to Acts chapter two. Day of Pentecost had come. The Holy Spirit was poured out. Peter got up and he began to preach. He preached such a powerful message of who Jesus was and they had killed him that they were so convicted. In verse 37, as they heard, oh, it was Peter preaching, uh, they, cut, they were cut to the heart, it says in verse 37. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, now what do we do? You're right, we're convicted in our hearts that what Peter is saying is true. Then Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the last verse 41, and those who gladly received his words were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. All right, let's talk about baptism for a second. We have a baptism coming up. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. I'm just gonna ask you to have a conversation with yourself. Have you been baptized since you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's a yes or no answer to yourself. If not, why not? And then take it a step further. If not, why not? What excuse are you using for not doing it? Now, having said that, um, why should you be baptized? Well, one reason, one reason only. Jesus said so. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Easy enough, clear enough? There are some who have not done it for whatever reason. And if that stings a little bit, didn't mean it to, well, Pastor Dwight was really laying the condemnation on this morning. No, I just quoted Matthew chapter 28, the last two verses. And um, if the shoe fits, as they say, wear it. So, now the foundation of what the church should look like. By the way, this is the foundation for every Calvary Chapel. Verse 42, four things. And they, after they were believers, it says they continued steadfastly and the apostles' doctrine. That means they were in Bible study all the time. Fellowship, breaking of bread, that would be communion and prayers. We have four things listed here. And in those four things, Bible study um, um, usually takes place in church or home fellowships. Uh, Fellowship that we have with one another while we're here. Communion, we do it uh, first Sunday of the month. Um, our prayer meetings are for men and women, 8 o'clock every, every um, Saturday morning. And then, of course, the Wednesday night, um, um, chapter by chapter and verse by verse studies. It goes on to say, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods, Divided them among all as anyone had needed. So continuing, notice, daily 
with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now I want to point something out here because this was the foundation. These four things that it says, because they did that, the last verse here says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Can I contrast that with what we learned in the first part of our Bible study, that in the last day there would be a departure from? Why? Because they weren't enduring sound doctrine. They wanted people to tell them what they wanted to hear instead of what they needed to hear. Let me be honest just with you for a second here about a Father's Day message. So, Lord, it's Father's Day where we're going. And um, I, I can honestly say that I, uh, I have to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning sometimes and go downstairs. I don't like getting out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning and going downstairs. But that's when the Lord's giving me the Bible study. And I know I'll probably won't remember it when I wake up, so I go downstairs and write it down so that I can actually stand up here and tell you that the Bible study that we're giving today, I really don't have a whole lot to do with. I want to be able to say like Paul, that which I have received from the Lord, I'm giving to you. And I actually said out loud, I said, Lord, do you really want the title to be Excuses, Excuses, Excuses on Father's Day? (laughs) Interesting lunchtime conversation, I'm sure. But nonetheless... That's ex- exactly what uh, was, was laid out for this week's Sunday morning's message. And I know it's Father's Day. Now, obedience to these four things. What are they again? Bible study, fellowship, communion, and prayer. Do you know that that's doable over the long haul? You can actually if, make that a pattern. You can do that from the time you get saved until the time that the Lord takes you home. And having said that, and that's our model, how many people do you know that um, go church hunting to pick out a church, and they're basing their decision on what church they go to by how good the children's ministry is? And that's the determining factor of, it's about, how good is a kid's program? And how good are they being maintained as a criteria for picking out a church? Okay, listen up, dads. It's Father's Day, okay? Guess whose responsibility is to train your children about the Lord Jesus Christ? Sunday school teacher? No. Youth group leader? No. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he will go and when he is old he will not depart from it. But he's not gonna do by what you say. He's gonna be watching you. And if you're telling him, son, you need to read your Bible every day. Well, dad, are you reading your Bible every day? You know that the, the word of God tells us that we are to be in the scriptures daily? Mm, good place for an Amen. I'm gonna prove it to you in just a bit, but I'm just asking a question right now. No, instead of teaching through the whole counsel of God and looking, is your church based on the pattern that the Bible says the church should be based on? Or are you basing it upon programs? 
or you're trying to get them in by having a um, McDonald Playland for the kids on Sunday morning so that they'll feel happy and clappy. And the message is usually short. It's usually a topical message about you. And don't you know that the volume of the book is about you? No, the volume of the book is not about you. (laughs) The volume of the book is about Jesus, period. And so what happens, what did Paul say to Timothy? The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up teachers for themselves. Don't tell me uh, what I don't want to hear. Tell me what I do want to hear. And as a result of that, we have the two major influences probably in the last 20 years have been Willow Creek as a model and uh, America's pastor, Rick Warren of Saddleback have become uh, the mentors for and the ones who are influencing what a church should look like. When they have their leadership conference and they bring in their speakers, most of them don't even have a relationship with the Lord. But they're executives of large companies and CEOs. Oh, they're incredible businessmen. And if you ask Bill Hybels, well, he can't because he fell. But if you ask Rick Warren, who his biggest influence is, he'll say Peter Drucker. Now, if you're a businessman, you know who I just said. If you're not, you don't. But he's a guru to the CEOs. And if you want a successful business, boy, he's got a pattern for you. And it will work. And by the way, he knows it'll work in the church too. And it has outwardly. When it comes to numbers, outwardly. But to have a church where you have to endure sound doctrine, well, that is becoming increasingly um, less and less. Turn with me um, to, well, let me just quote Matthew chapter four. This is something um, that we've all um, have heard before. Um, And he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew, right? Do you know that that, uh, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 8? This is not a New Testament verse. This is an Old Testament verse. And if you're taking notes, it's Deuteronomy verse 8.3. So he humbled you, and he allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not uh, know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Now this is important as we make some connections here. I told you I was gonna prove to you that the Bible teaches us that we are to be reading the Bible every single day. And what I have now is an Old Testament picture, but before I go to the picture, I would like you to turn to Deuteronomy. I'll give you a chance to get there, Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you're in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates. What I'm holding up here, I'm bought in Israel, it's a mezuzah. And um, almost every building that you enter in Israel has one of these on the doors. And every time um, a Jewish person walks into their home, it goes something like this. What are they doing? They're fulfilling, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house. There's a space back here where they put in a little scroll. And in it is Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine. But also in it is um, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 um, to 24. But it says word for word exactly what we just read in Deuteronomy chapter six. And basically all it is saying is doing it daily and to love it. So the affection is a kiss as they touch it, as they put it on on their doorpost. I sort of like the one out of Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I got that, and whenever I do concrete work, that scripture ends up there. <laughs> as for me and my house, well, we're gonna serve the Lord. The picture, and we'll begin to wind up with this, is Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. We've just made a direct connection as we read um, that the manna from, that we quoted from uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, that man shall not live by bread alone, comparing it to manna. What was manna? It's what the children of Israel ate for 40 years before they entered into the promised land. Now, try to imagine two million people, watering two million people, feeding two million people every day for 40 years. Jesus said he was the bread of life. Deuteronomy connects the bread of life with manna. But 1 Corinthians, now New Testament, connects the water that they drank. If you're taking notes, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Um, I'll read the first four verses. Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food. And they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So now, where's the water coming from? Well, Paul tells the Corinthian church it came from the rock. Remember Moses striking the rock and water coming out? Well, the Lord followed him himself. It was the Lord himself that was the provider of the water that sustained them for their 40 years. So what we have in Exodus 16, it's not very long, 
and it's going to lay out for us, we have a picture. And my point and my exhortation, it's Father's Day, we're living in the last days, Paul's told us what to do, to do it more often, fellowship more often, but the bottom line is, are you really in devotion and eating the word of God every single day? Some people are morning people. (laughs) Some people are night people. It doesn't matter when you have your quiet time with the Lord. My question to you is, are you having it? And are, are you doing it daily? And if you're not, my question is, why not? Well, does the Bible teach that? You decide after we look at this picture here. Picking it up in verse one, Exodus 16. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day in the second month, after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we ate by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to be full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm going to rain bread down from heaven for you. And the people will go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in and it shall be twice as much as they gathered daily. Then Moses said Aaron said to all the children of Israel, at evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. For he hears your murmuring against the Lord. But what are we that you murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to be full. For the Lord hears your murmurings which you make against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, Say to the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he's heard your murmurings. And it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying at twilight, You shall eat meat, and in the morning you'll be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quail came at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there was on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground, So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. And this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. 
Let every man gather according to each one's need. One omer for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in the tent. And the children of Israel did so. And some gathered more and some gathered less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing over. He who had gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with him. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, this is what the Lord said, tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil. Evidently, they were trying to come up with uh, eating manna as many different ways as they can. Sometimes they baked it, sometimes they boiled it, sometimes they made manicotti, sometimes they made banana bread, banana burgers. They were trying to do anything to make manna more palatable. So they laid it up till morning and Moses commanded and did not stink. So when they were supposed to take a day off, the Lord says, you're not gonna have any manna, so don't go out to try to find it because it's not gonna be there. Gather twice as much the day before. Verse 25, and Moses said, eat that today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the Sabbath day. They wanted to sleep in on the day before, not work as hard. Eh, we'll just go out the next day. But there was nothing there. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do they refuse to keep my commandments and laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So, the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Israel called its name manna. Manna means, what is it? <laughs> and it was like white cord and seed, and a taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations that you may see the bread which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord and keep it for your generation. Ordinarily, it would last for one morning and then it would stink and breed worms, except on the sixth day you could gather twice as much. Now he's saying take a whole um, uh, omer full of it and keep it in the Ark of the Covenant. And it was preserved throughout all that time as a witness of how God provided for them. And the Lord commanded Moses to lay it up for a testimony to be kept. 
the last two verses. And the children of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they came into the inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Cana. Now Omer is one-tenth of an ephah. What's your point, Dwight? Well, the point is simple. That as we feast on God's word this Sunday morning, it's good for Sunday morning, but it's no good for Monday morning. This is telling me that what God gave them, they weren't particularly excited about. It goes on to say, oh, I remember those leeks and those onions. Oh, they were so spicy. And boy, I sure wish we had some of those again. You know what that makes me think of? They wanted to spice things up a little bit. They weren't content with the word of God, the manna. What has happened to the church today? They become discontent with the word of God. That's supposed to be taken daily. Can't we spice it up a little bit? How about a smoke machine up on stage during worship? How about some neon lights that flash in and out? Can't we just rev it up just a little bit? Another Bible study? Luke next week again? Well, what are you going to do when you get through to Revelation? I'll go back to Genesis and do it all over again. For how long? Until we get from point A to point B. Gang, it's doable. But I look at some of the church programs that are out there today. You know what they do? They burn people out. They're not fed solid meat. And as a result, as Paul wrote to the Hebrews, if you're taking notes, Hebrews 6, verse 1, he's, he's exhorting them this way. He says, you Hebrews, I want you to leave the elementary principles of the faith. I call them the ABCs. These are Christians who have been Christians now for a long time. What were the ABCs? Um, Turning away from sin, number one. Turning to God, number two. Being baptized, the doctrine of baptism, number three. The laying on of hands, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, number four, and eternal judgment. Every baby Christian should have that well under their belt. They're the ABCs. Paul called them the elementary principles. But he says, you're 20 years old in the Lord, and you're still talking about the same things. No. How about a good Bible study in Leviticus, chapter by chapter and verse by verse? Oh, the treasures that are in the whole counsel of God. And so how do we get and maintain the course and stay the course until the Lord comes and takes us back? Well, we do exactly this. We don't try to spice it up. This is what the Lord provided for them. They made it. What's a generation? Maybe 40 years. And that gave them enough nourishment. It says their sandals didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out. The Lord provided for them until they entered in to the promised land. We'll close with verse that back to our text and in Luke 14 with this thought. Does the Bible teach that we should be feeding ourselves daily? We don't have any problem at all with feeding the flesh, do we? 
We get our three squares every day. And if I would ask you straight out, what's more important, feeding your flesh or feeding your spirit? I don't think one person here was here today would say, feeding my flesh is more important, even though that's not what we do. <laughs> so the exhortation, if it's as late as we think it is, and Paul has warned us, as you see the day approaching, make sure you're in fellowship more, not less. Dad's is Father's Day. Be an example. Don't just tell your kids to read the Bible. Let them see you teaching them the Bible. Be an example to them. And if, um, if, you, if um, um, you're not doing that, I'll close with this question. Why? What's your excuse for not? Ooh, ouch, that hurt. Well, it hurts me too. You don't think I make my commitment to the Lord to have daily devotions and, and read my wisdom for today? I can't stand up here and tell you I do that every single day. Tell myself I will. Well, I'll do it more than 90% of the time. But I'm no different than you. I get up and I go, oh, yeah, I gotta do that, I gotta do that, all that stuff. And somehow it slipped through the cracks. And I'm, I'm glad because for Bible studies that are Bible studies of exhortation. I'm not just exhorting you, I'm exhorting me to do exactly what the word tells us to do. Do you realize there's not one person here who wakes up in the spirit? Not one. Every person here wakes up in the flesh. And you have to die to yourself. That's why Paul said, I die daily. So you gotta make a conscious decision. Well, today... I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna die to myself, I'm gonna sit down, and I'm gonna let the word of God um, get my uh, heart where it should be by seeking first his kingdom and do it every single day and realize that between Sunday and Wednesday, I gotta be Monday and Tuesday in the word by myself. Amen? One final thought. I'm talking to the, I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning and those watching live stream. And, and believing and hoping you're all born again. But let's just say you're not. Let's just say you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. And yet you've heard it. You understand it. The invitation has been given. My closing question to you is, um, the ramifications for making excuses for not coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no excuse that is a good excuse. The invitation of God's goodness is his grace. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But you do have to repent. And so he's laid it before you, but I'll tell you, he's gracious. He's not an arm twister. He'll just lay out the truth, and then with the invitation, you get to do with it whatever you want to. But let me read the last verse. Verse 24, I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. Why? Because they made excuses for not doing it. Amen? Let's stand and we'll close the word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for our fathers on this Father's Day weekend. Lord, as we get together with family and friends this afternoon, uh, we pray that you'd go before us. Lord, I know this morning that um, it's a study that can be comforting or convicting. 
But Lord, we just commit your word and you promised that your word would not return void. So Lord, as we teach your word this morning, um, help our hearts and minds not be hard-hearted. As your word says today, if we hear your voice, let us not harden our heart. And Lord, if anybody has made an excuse for not receiving you, please deal with that person today and show them the foolishness of their ways. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The invitation has been given. My closing question to you is, um, the ramifications for making excuses for not coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no excuse that is a good excuse. The invitation of God's goodness is his grace. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But you do have to repent. And so he's laid it before you, but I'll tell you, he's gracious. He's not an arm twister. He'll just lay out the truth, and then with the invitation, you get to do with it whatever you want to. But let me read the last verse. Verse 24, I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. Why? Because they made excuses for not doing it. Amen? Let's stand and close the word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for our fathers on this Father's Day weekend. Lord, as we get together with family and friends this afternoon, uh, we pray that you'd go before us. Lord, I know this morning that um, it's a study that can be comforting or convicting, but Lord, we just commit your word and you promise that your word would not return void. So Lord, as we teach your word this morning, um, help our hearts and minds not be hard-hearted. As your word says today, if we hear your voice, let us not harden our heart. And Lord, if anybody has made an excuse for not receiving you, please deal with that person today and show them the foolishness of their ways. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.